Hey homies, it's Michelle Bennett, graphic designer, turn marketer, turn interior decorator, and apparently now podcast host. That's right, peeps. I selfishly started a podcast so that I would have an excuse to pick the brains of designers, decorators, and industry experts so that I can get to the next level. And the best part is you guys are coming with me. to start this one out with a little bit of a disclaimer. I was obviously lucky enough that I got to interview Kimberly Selden. I was not so lucky in that it just so happened that the time that we had scheduled was at the same time that a whole bunch of crazy stuff was going on in my house. So there was saws happening. There was people drilling through my house. And the end result of that made for a little bit of a choppy episode because there was a lot of editing, slicing and dicing that I had to do. But Kimberly, thank you so much. She was amazing. Her, because she's obviously had so much experience with TV and stuff, she knew exactly how to deal with the waiting and starting over. So it made my job so much easier. So I want to apologize for the fact that this is going to be a bit of a choppy one. And also it's going to, there's going to be some audio issues here and there, but I promise it's worth it because not only does she give us amazing advice, she also tells us what her go-to drink is. And I assure you, it's badass. You do not want to miss it. All right, guys, we have a very exciting podcast coming at you right now because I've got, this is my drum roll, which I don't think is going to translate. Kimberly Selden on the podcast today. Hi, Kimberly. I love the, I love the rock star introduction. Right? Well, I mean, you're a rock star, so it has to come with a rock star introduction. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for taking time out of your day. The week, like, literally, we're going into a long weekend, and I was like, oh, she's probably going to be like, oh, shoot. I didn't plan this properly, no. but yeah. I'm fully, fully working. We have a huge installation happening next week, so I'm like up to my eyeballs. This is a treat. Yes. So we had originally ta- uh, planned to talk a little bit about the 15 steps from a newbie perspective, but I think in the interest of making sure, because Kimberly, obviously everybody knows she's got an amazing program, Business of a Design. It's a paid program. It's very affordable monthly. And there's a lot of proprietary information in that program. So in the interest of being respectful to content that people are paying for versus what is available without being paid for, we're going to see what we can do as far as answering some of the questions that some of my audiences asked. And if we feel comfortable answering them without kind of, you know, disrespecting the fact that, again, it's a paid program, then we will. And if we can't, then we won't. And we're just going to move on to whatever question else we can, we can ask. Because I've got other questions. They're going to be great. They're selfishly uh, for me. And it'll be awesome. Um, so we're not going to go through the 15 steps because it's free on business of design. People can sign up, get that first introductory. You have your amazing podcast. You have episodes that talk about it. So we're not going to get exhaustive about what they are, but we're going to quickly go through them. And I'm going to share with you some questions that came in and you can tell me what you think. Okay. So step one, we know step one is the consultation. Anybody can do that newbie or not newbie, right? I mean, some people can't do it effectively, but whatever. That's not what we're here to talk about. Step two, one of the questions that was asked, and let me know what you think about this, was from consultation to proposal, service proposal, what's your typical lead time for that? So if I had a consultation today, 
Um, would you, when do you deliver that presentation or the proposal for that typically? Well, it's so funny. I guess just the question makes me pause because I don't do a proposal following consultation. Because you do it in the consultation, right? Right. right. I told her that's what I told her. So it's interesting. So many people listen to the podcast and they know the 15 steps because somebody's printed them online or they've talked about them and they'll ask a question like that. And I'm like, you don't know them yet. Like you have to start at the beginning. If you're a newbie, my strong recommendation is you don't tweak the 15 steps because they're meant to be worked in order precisely as prescribed. And I was in this really unusual position where I had, and you know, Michelle, we talked about it a little bit. I had, can you hear that? Can you hear it? Sounds like a pig. It (laughs) sounds like. Yeah, no, it's, they're drilling a hole into my house. It's no big deal. We're just going to hot it. We're going to wait a sec. I'm sorry. I had this unique position where because I was on television, I had hundreds of customers call my office. So I had this weird opportunity to create a lab experience with real customers and real budgets and try out various ways to create the best client experience possible. Who has that? Nobody has that. So at any given time, at one point, we had 14 designers and we had 30 or 40 projects happening right now at any given time. So we literally had teams of designers trying things different ways. Let's try the consultation this way. Let's try the contract this way. Let's try trade day this way. And then we would come back together. And we'd say, well, this worked really well, but this didn't work. Well, over here, that thing works. So now let's put those two together and let's try that. So nobody, it would be really unusual for anyone to have as much time as we did to make it right. So I strongly, strongly recommend just try it the way it's prescribed and don't go off book. I haven't, I've not yet met anyone who went off book who I think is doing it a better way. I haven't met everybody and I don't know how you tweaked yours, Michelle, and you're super smart and you run a great business. So it's probably working really well for you, but don't start there. If you're a newbie, start at the beginning, implement one part of the process well, implement that consultation well. In fact, I would even say implement the intake prior to the consultation well. Like if you get that right, you're ahead of the game, right? Oh my God. Absolutely. I uh, recently did a series. I I just felt like I was doing, for example, for um, my calls, like my intake calls, I was just like, what started happening was I set some criteria for myself. Like, okay, I'm only going to accept projects of this size, which is great, obviously, right? But what started to happen was I started to see red flags in clients or certain things that I didn't want. And then I started to overcompensate during my discovery call where I would say too much. (laughs) So I was totally, Totally. I was freaking everybody out, I think. And I was just like verbal diarrheaing all over the place. So that was something yeah. I recently, like, you know, I did some, some role playing with some people on the podcast and I just noticed, like I said, I was saying too much. So I think that's really great advice is like not trying to do too much, try to start at the beginning, get that right and kind of move on. Um, and so for what you're saying though, is you don't send a proposal after 
you, you basically in your consultation say, here's what we're looking at. So you're basically giving them an estimated price or, or whatever that might look like in the consultation. Yeah. Well, first of all, we're developing a scope of work. I can't possibly know on any kind of a quote discovery call what the scope of work is. And one thing I would just caution you about because I'm older than Michelle, so I can give her motherly advice. (laughs) Here's my motherly advice for Michelle, whom I love. We went through a phase where we thought we're only taking projects that are 250,000 and above. That wasn't terribly successful for us because here's what happens sometimes. We recently got called in to do a project. I think I even talked about it on the podcast. It was a screen porch, just a screen porch. That's not a very big project, right? right? The screen porch project turned into new kitchen, new bathrooms, all new floors in the house, all new windows and doors throughout the entire home. The entire basement, which is a huge area with a $30,000 sectional sofa in it. And I think I'm forgetting some things. Oh, and we removed an exterior wall that led to the screen porch. So the screen porch turned into a $750,000 job. And had I said, oh, I'm not going to show up for screen porch, I would have totally missed that. So it's more about figuring out, is this customer um, going to have a reasonable budget that will allow me to make a living and let me do work that is soul satisfying, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the intake I'm looking for. Where do they live? How many homes do they have? What's their thinking about a designer? Do they expect me to spend a half an hour on the phone with them for free? Because that's not really the customer I want, right? I want to get them signed up for a consultation and then we'll talk. We'll talk at the consultation. I don't really have to know too much about them ahead of the consultation, except for that they can pay the consultation fee. That's great advice. And you know what? You're, <laughs> I realized, I was like, hey, it's 2019 and I'm going to set some standards for myself. And then what happened was like, I was really struggling. I was not getting those. I was also like saying too much, trying to get to the, are they meeting this criteria, freaking everybody out, scheduling no consultations. So I will say, luckily, I did, once once I started realizing, well, like, okay, it's been a little slow as a result of this crazy criteria I set for myself, I need to kind of rejig and be a little more open-minded about smaller projects and what those could be. So luckily, I got there. It just took, it did take me, like, we're in July. No, we're in August. Um it took me like five months to get there after just failing miserably at a bunch of calls early on. Which is so funny. It's kind of, I always tell everybody being a member of something like Business of Design that actually is a really mature support community is like being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. You don't just go and graduate. You have to keep coming back or you forget who you are. And what you describe, Michelle, is different than what I know we initially talked about that you would do, but right, you go off on your own and then you begin experimenting and then you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, go back, go back to what worked. So it's important for us to keep reminding each other, to keep each other accountable and remind each other, no, don't you remember? That doesn't really work. This works. Try this, go back. Um, So yeah, so I'm a proud member of um, (laughs) Business of Design Anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny too, because I do feel like sometimes I, we, so 
there's about 10 or 12 of, I don't know how many, but I've kind of collected a bunch of designers locally who are at varying levels, but kind of similar, but you know, whatever. And we, we had our first, what we called mastermind session as a group where we just kind of all like talked. And then there was somebody who had just been in her business for about a year and she was saying what she was charging and what, and then all of us were like, no, like you need to charge more and da da da, Right. And then I was like, well, hold on. You know what? I also started there in my first year. And I will say it's, it's really easy for us to, it's, it's really easy to hear, like have somebody tell you something, but until I feel like you make those terrible mistakes of like undercharging or not using a receiver or, you know, not reading the contract in the consultation until you like experience the, the really bad decisions you can't get passionate about the processes that you put in. I don't know if you feel that same thing where, right? Because you started all of this Nothing, because yeah. of, the, of the, the mistakes, right? Nothing's a better teacher than pain, for sure. But I try yeah. as, I've, as I've matured in life to learn things from people who know better. Like I don't, yeah. for God's sakes, Kimberly, you don't have to make every damn mistake yeah. yourself. Why don't you just trust that this yeah. is going to work? And so I actually think you did that person a service. And I know we all started with a low fee. I'm not sure there was a real benefit to starting with a low fee. I think it kept no. me playing small yeah. and it kept the client thinking I was small. And I think when you put up a higher fee, you have to put up or shut up. Like yeah. you better step it up and be good at your job if you have a higher oh. fee or the, the pain is going to be swift and sharp and then you'll learn, right? That is so good because um, it's almost like when we're new, especially like, you know, for those of us who maybe didn't go to school and where it's our second career and we're starting from nothing, it's like we're hiding behind that low fee because it, it allows us to not maybe deliver. But the truth is that client does not give a shit whether or not they paid $50 an hour, they still, I've said this a few times, like they, they, nobody hires a contractor or a designer or anything and says, well, I got what I paid for. Nobody says that. They say, I still expected the best. So I might as well have them pay me to deliver that. That's really good advice. I I do like that. Um, Do we have anything else to say about that? Like, I think it's true. One one thing I did suggest to her was like, just try to don't don't necessarily put it on anything. Just next person who calls, just just say a higher number and just see what happens, kind of thing. Say a higher number and shut your mouth. Right? Too much information terrifies everybody. So just say a higher number. Think of it like you're buying a you know a really high end pair of shoes or a really high end purse. You don't go into Christian Dior and say uh, you know I'm looking at this bag and they say it's you know fifty five hundred dollars and then they don't go off and vomit all over you why it's such a great bag right? They say fifty five hundred dollars and they look at you like do you want it? And you're yeah. like yeah I, want it. I sure want it. It's yeah. so good. It's so funny. The best thing for me was like finding out that. The less I say, the better. It's like as soon as you, you find that out, you're like, oh, okay, cool. Because then you have less opportunity to screw it up. Which right. And the thing is, you, you want to overshare because you want to tell them all the things. But of all the things you tell them, you probably said five things that they don't want to, they didn't, don't appeal to them. It doesn't work. Yeah. And so you scare them off. Maybe she's the wrong designer. Like if you say little and they show, you show up for the consultation, they'll meet beautiful Michelle. She's smart, articulate, passionate, 
who wouldn't want to hire you if you showed up at their house? Like who wouldn't hire you? I would hire you. So (laughs) it's about just the least amount you can say to get in the door. And then you have that heart to heart about whether or not we're going to work together. I think. I agree. And I'll be honest, it's been my experience. And what's amazing about it is it's way easier to say less. Like, great. It's win-win. So much easier. And also, I think about who's my ideal client. My ideal client is strapped for time, but has money. Mm -hmm. So it's often two income earners with children. So you've got these two people who have a career. They have kids. They have parents. They have no time. They don't even have time for a 30-minute discovery to call. They just don't have time. Like Mm -hmm. they got together on the weekend. Their house looks like crap. It's like, oh my God, we have to do something about this. What are we going to do? Boo, boo, boo. Okay, let's call Kimberly Selden. If I waste their time, I lose them forever. Instead, if it's like, boom, boom, we can get you in for a consultation next Thursday at 2 p.m. Okay, let's do it. Like it's over, right? That's kind of all I have to do is schedule that consultation. So that's a perfect customer for me. Exhausted with plenty of income. (laughs) (laughs) me too I like that also like the the least amount of questions they have too that's an ideal client as well like it's funny though you know what I think it is is I know myself it's kind of like it's always about your own shit going on in your head like for me I just know that I struggle to make decisions and I need more information and and so I almost treat clients the way I think that I would be. And maybe I just, I need to work on that on my own and go like, not ever, hopefully I'm not my ideal client because I would be a lunatic and it would be (laughs) not what I would want. So when you say you struggle with decisions, let, let, I'm curious, like when you go shopping for a car, let's say, do you want to see 700 options or do you want to see two options that meet, tick all the boxes? So car is probably not a good example for me, but I will give you a good example contractor for my own house. So last time we talked, I don't know, I don't expect you to remember this, but um, I was mostly focusing on decorating and I would only furnish homes, um, help with floor planning, paint, small built-in work, nothing crazy. I had never worked with a contractor personally until my own house. I was paralyzed with indecision of who to work with um, until I finally just went with uh, my, ki- my kitchen cabinetry company's recommendation. But we basically didn't start our renovation for about, and this is a problem, but three months like later because of my, indec- my fear of decision on that front. So, so basically, like I assume somebody that's hiring me is similar to me, you know, that's, which they're probably not. So but if you did have somebody like you, what you have two levers you can pull to motivate that person to make a decision, right? You can pull the time lever. Hey, Mrs. Smith, we can take all the time you want, but you do realize you will not have a kitchen now for Christmas. Like right. you either make it, if you don't make a decision today, you will not have this renovation done for Christmas. Totally fine with me if it's in the new year, but just so you know. Yeah. And that could motivate her to make the decision. Oh my God, this is terrifying, that one. Okay. Yeah. And the other one is money. If you're charging the person for all the three months, right? If your contractor was billing you for the three <laughs> months of delay, you would have stepped up and made a decision, right? I think we actually do clients a service by charging them 
when they have a hard time making a decision because it motivates them to make a decision. And really what you want to say is, I want you to trust me. This is my business. I do it all the time. I know what you want. You've articulated enough information to me that I can give you what you want. Now you need to trust me. I agree. Speaking of that whole trust thing, I'm curious on your hot take on this. Um, You probably do whole homes often, right? Yeah, when the economy is good, we do a ton of whole homes. Okay, let's say I have a whole home. And I, maybe I tell the client, you know what, we're going to start with two rooms in your home and we're going to like get to that approved state. And by that point, I'll have gotten to know you really well. Also, they've now trust me more that makes the rest of the home go much smoother. What's your thoughts and feelings on that strategy? Or do you prefer to just go all in a whole home at once presentation? Well, Usually that's directed by the clients, right? When I go do the scope of work, the clients may want to do the whole house ultimately, but it might be the type of client who says, I don't really know you yet. So I'm a little anxious about this, in which case I can say, why don't we start with your kitchen? That seems to be the biggest source of discomfort right now. Mm-hmm. Let's start with your kitchen and that'll be phase one. And if you're happy, we'll go on to, to complete the rest of the project. And then in my experience, like almost 100% of the time, phase two starts before we're done with phase one, because what they're looking for is that is to find out, am I going to be the person who shows up when I say I'm going to show up? Are my trades going to show up when they say they're going to show up? Am I going to handle problems well, or am I going to be a diva drama queen? So once they get comfortable with you, right, they're going to start giving you more jobs. And that's how a job grows from a screen porch to practically the whole house. Gotcha. Because I know like the one project, they just wanted to do the whole house and I did it. And it was, it was very early in my business. Um, Lots of mistakes made there, but it was, it was hard and I didn't do enough up front. I've just noticed that once you get to a point where a room or two is done, that client now is like, it happened to me last week. I met with a client to style her office and she said, you know what, Michelle, like, Now that I know what you do, like I go into my living room every day and my dining room and we love it. So I'm, I'm totally comfortable. Like do what you do kind of thing. So I don't know if I should just, even if somebody wants a whole home say, look, I think this is the best strategy. We tackle a couple of rooms and then we go to the next rooms. See, I, I love having control over the whole thing at once Mm -hmm. because I feel like I'm going to do such a much better job. It's going to be so cohesive if I'm doing the whole project at once, right? (laughs) Okay. So back to the screen porch project. Here's something that happened, just the screen porch. Then she says, oh, by the way, in the kitchen, the fridge on my panel, the panel on the refrigerator doesn't go with the rest of the kitchen. It's a long story, but do you think you're, you have somebody who could change the panel of the fridge. Sure, no problem. So I got my cabinet guy to create a new panel that matched the old kitchen. And as we were getting ready to install it, she decided she wants a whole new brand new kitchen. So that was a total waste of time, Mm -hmm. right? It was a waste of a a couple thousand bucks or whatever it was. I don't remember how much it was. I would rather know it's going to be the whole house up front and you can't do enough work at the beginning. Whatever work you don't do at the beginning will cost you five times more effort at the back end. This is, I, that does make a lot of sense for sure. Um, okay, let's talk about trade day for a second. And I'd like to, this is kind of some of the questions that came in about trade day and let me know um, what your thoughts are. So 
trade day, it, we know, people do know what trade day is. Um, as a newbie, or when you're talking about trade day, right, um, and you're talking to people, in your experience, when you're talking to the guy who's come in to kind of help you make sure that your ideas are going to work, how like ready with ideas are you on trade day? And because a lot of the times, at least for me and some of the people who submitted questions, some of those like big ideas on what to do in the home come during like the designing phase. So what for you, are your ideas just happening so early on in the phase or is, is it just irrelevant at that point? Are you just throwing around anything um, that could be potentially an idea to confirm the, like whether it could work? Does this make sense? Sometimes when I get to trade day, I have absolutely no idea what I want to do. Okay. I show up and I'm like, okay, they want a new kitchen. That's pretty straightforward. But at trade day, I'm focused on is the layout right? Should Is it just going to be copying the layout they have? Do they have enough storage? Are they really happy with the triangle? Is the fridge big enough? Like there's so many practical considerations. But then maybe in the living room, they have a weird corner fireplace. And I show up at Trade Day, I'm like, I have no freaking idea how to make this look right. I think we should blow out the wall. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not in the budget. That's not happening. Okay, if that's not happening, then... Everybody who's got ideas, let's hear them. Let's talk about them. Okay. Now that sucks. That sucks. Hmm. That's interesting. What if we did that? Okay. So I am actually using trade day to come up with functionality decisions, not so much aesthetic. Like I'm not worried about pink or blue or green. Who Mm -hmm. cares? If it's functional, that's what matters. Right. And then the pretty stuff happens later when I'm back at the office drinking, um, Tequila. I mean, coffee. <laughs> Tequila is your drink of choice, eh? Yeah, yeah. Like, are we talking yeah. like tequila straight up or what are you mixing with that? This is important. In lime. Tequila lime. with lime. Lime. Like a splash of mm. lime. And then you sip oh, it. Oh, so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. For you days. know what? Yeah. You, that's, a, that's hardcore. I like it. You heard it here first, yeah. people. I don't know that that's true, but um, so that's cool. So basically, <laughs> no, it's totally true. It's what? It's totally true. Oh, you mean you didn't? Yeah, never mind. You mean you're not sure if you heard it here first is true? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, the te- I believe you're rocking those. My Instagram feed is full of design, travel, and tequila. Pretty much is all that's in my Insta feed. I think. What? What? Out of curiosity, what's the tequila brand? that people should consider because I think that they are not, uh, there's probably a good one and a shitty one out there, right? Oh yeah. I mean, just as a starter, nothing lower than Casamigos or Patron Silver or something like that. That's like your starting point. And then from there, there's so many good ones. Herradura is a good one. Um, uh, uh, not Contigo, Camigo. I can't think of the name. Oh, Codico. Codigo is a really nice one. Ah, there's so many. Yeah, we'll, we'll put these in the show notes, guys. And also, like, next time yeah. you see Kimberly somewhere at an event, you can know what to buy her as a drink. So this is important information that exactly. people need to know. Um, so trade day, okay, I think that's really valuable. <laughs> I think, too, like, people were also a little like, well, if we're asking the – because not everybody has, like, their team, right? Like, as a newbie, you might not have your team of people. So – do you invite, like, if, if you're, t- if a 
clients saying, I, I don't know, I'm going to get quotes and we don't know who that trade person's going to be, then is it maybe not the best to, to get somebody on site that might not be doing the work because they're not going to be very pleased with that. So that's kind of the nuances of the newbie situation. Well, if you really don't have any team, like you have no trades at all, you're so new that you know nothing, I would schedule two different teams to come in and I would have a painter come at nine in the morning and I would have another painter come at four in the afternoon so they don't cross over, so they don't know that you're doing that. Um, and the optics to the client would be, we these are two painters that we have a recommendation for, but we want to see what their pricing is. Um, so it's fine from a client's perspective that you have two painters. In fact, it's weird initially for clients to know that I only bring in one painter, just yeah. my painter. And they, they kind of go like, huh, don't you want to get the best price? And I'm like, no, I want the best painter who will do exactly what he says he's going to do. And, and what I can say to my clients is hundred percent of my customers love my painter. Oh, well, who wouldn't hire that guy? Like if I told you, Michelle, 100% of my customers love this particular contractor, would you not have hired him for your kitchen? million percent. Right. So what's a better line than that? 100% of my clients like this cabinet guy. 100% of my clients love my flooring guy. And then I can also say, you know, 90% of my clients like the wallpaper guy. Occasionally he has a little snit and he's kind of dramatic and he's a pain in the ass, but we put up with him because he does the best. You can never find his seams. It's so perfect. Yeah. I put up with him. This is a logistical question that's like silly. And I'm just curious, like, what is your philosophy on this? So yesterday I personally had my kitchen delivered, right? you know, my very expensive fancy pants kitchen that I've already spent and I gave them a check, the final, like, you know, whatever percent. Do you tip those people? Like, where does the tipping to the people delivering begin and end when you're paying decent money for this stuff already? Stupid question, but I'm curious what you're, like, what you think is appropriate and no. I don't want to be appropriate. Yeah. Uh, we, we tip those trades that we use repeatedly. So like we use the same moving company all the time. Okay. So if they do a job and there's huge heavy stuff and it's hot and they're sweating, we might give a hundred bucks to the truckload of guys so that they can stop on the way home and get a burger. Um, something like that. But if they're just dropping off a bag of pillows and it's like a rain, regular day in day out it's like thanks like I don't okay. we don't tip all the time it's really for service above and beyond the kitchen cabinet company that if you use them all the time it's in your best interest to treat them well um and if you're never going to see them again and you think their service was so so then I definitely wouldn't tip them but if you thought wow they were they were white glove I can't believe how what a beautiful state they delivered everything in, then you might want to tip them just as, you know, one human being to another. Yeah. I, I guess I'm always like, I just, I never know. And also I'm never prepared. <laughs> like I never, right. on that's me. the other thing. Yeah. I don't have my cash on me sometimes. Uh, so that's what that's I fine. do with um, our furniture installation dudes who are lovely and the sweetest and, and do, they're always working so hard. I, I got the guy's email and I'm like, I'm going to email transfer you after. And what's great is like, I have that as a thread and I, a receipt for, you know, um, my business yeah, good, expenses. Good point. Yeah. Really good point. Sometimes we'll send like Starbucks gift cards or something like that. 
uh, after the fact. And the other thing is if it's a company you don't know, you, sometimes a tip is like letting the owner of the company know they did a great job. Like that can be a tip too, you know? Yeah. Hey, Joe and Caesar were here and they were fabulous. I just want you to know, like they really represented your company well. I did. And then that could, that's, there you go. See how nice you are. I am so nice. (laughs) No. Um, Okay. Another question about like the process. um, And this is again, another seemingly stupid question, but it's one that I have. And also Becky Lou, who um, is in my Facebook group, and she's brought this up a few times and it seems ridiculous, but the end of a project, right? You're, you're leaving the clients. Well, this is for me specifically. I find it so awkward where I'm like, we just worked together for six months. Um, I know that this is like the last thing and I'm seeing you and, and I'm like, okay, bye. Like, it's just so awkward. <laughs> How do you end a project gracefully? Wow. Such a good question. Do you okay, want good. the project to end? Like, Not really, do, no. Like, Right. So then why that awkward handshake goodbye at the door? (laughs) So I'm trying to imagine the scenario where that happens. Like we recently had a project where we were finishing and the client, I was saying like, oh my God, this has been so much fun. I can't thank you enough for hiring us. And then we gave each other a hug. And then she said, you're not leaving me, are you? And I started laughing. I'm like, well, we finished everything on this project. And I said, but I'm, I'll be here forever as long as you want to do more work. Um, and so now she's getting us to her cottage. I swear to God, it's because she just does, like, it's just so nice, right? Like, she's just not ready to say goodbye. I love um, that. Those, those clients you want to keep forever. So one thing that I've done with clients that I want to keep forever is I've said at the end of the project, listen, uh, everything is wrapped up. We have, you know, a $20,000 retainer that we need to return to you. I'm just going to put this out on the table. Our fees are going up next year, like, you know, they do from time to time. And in the past, when we've had a client we've really loved, we've offered to keep $5,000 on account. So if you want to come back, that means your contract is still valid. You can still work with us and you, our fees won't go up. Um, otherwise we'll return the entire amount. And if you come back in a year or two, then it'll just be higher fees. And uh, in every case where I've asked the clients that they're going, Oh my God, that's amazing. So we give them back most of the retainer, keep a little bit. And then it's in their mind. Oh, I have that money over there. I should probably figure out another way to use it. I should probably use them for something. I like that. Excuse me. Yeah. It's really good. Um, And you're so right. I mean, like, well, um, okay. So how do you, you worked with a client. Do you ever get clients where you're like, yeah, I could never work with you again. And I wouldn't be upset by that. Yes. Okay. How do you, oh, how do you, I get clients how do you exit I will never that? Work with them again? <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been, it's been great to work with you. Uh, the office is going to return the retainer and bye-bye. I mean, yeah. like I, we have this one client, she was recommended from a, another client that we did two or three projects for. And the client, the first client this the initial client, was the nicest woman in the whole world. Like just, oh my God, could not do enough nice things for this client because she was such a living doll. So we all adore her. So she says, oh, my friend in my book club is going to hire you. And we're like, oh, it's her friend. She must be amazing. Oh my 
God, she was so not fun to work with. So I'll give you an example. I would show up at her house for a meeting. She would literally open the door and go, oh, I guess you're billing me for this. That was how she said hello to me. Oh my God. I'm like, well, yes, as this is a professional service, you are being billed. And as we need to be here. Yes. And then she kept doing it. So then we started coming up with new ways to push back. So I'd go like, well, unless it's a Christmas party and I'm invited, yeah, you're getting billed. So we just became crazy about it. Like, yeah, I'm going to Vegas. So (laughs) take your time. Let's make the meeting last. (laughs) Anyway, we finally finished the meeting. She was really a challenge. Like she just was not a happy person. Mm. We finally finished the project. And then like six months later, she called to do something else. And we're just like, oh, we, I'm so sorry. We are just flat out so busy. We can't do it. Like there's no way I'll ever go back. Like life's too short. And I, whenever I say stuff like that, I just always want to preface, you've got people listening to your podcast, Michelle, who are so new and they're probably like, F you, I need every project. I can't afford to turn them down. If I was at the beginning stages of my job, I would have taken her back because that's what you do when you don't have enough work, right? You just, you keep taking them and you keep learning. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, great advice. Okay. I'm going to shift gears a little bit for the last little 10 minutes that we got on the go here. You used to host a TV show, Mm. right? This girl has a dream. I have a dream and it would be to host a TV show. I mean, and I know I've heard various mixed, you know, people say about, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's hard. You can't really juggle that and necessarily, um, you know, client work, but, but it's a dream of mine. I would love to hear what, you know, any advice, thoughts, experience from, from hosting your own show um, that you might have for a girl like me. Okay. So, um, so first of all, I had three different shows, believe it or not. The first two were one hour live Uh, TV shows where people would call in, they would phone in for decorating advice and it was live and it was hysterical. And then the third one was called Design for Living and we did 265 episodes, which in today's language is like a billion. Like now if you get a TV show, you're lucky if you get six episodes. So just to put some perspective on how much TV I did. I would say if you really want to be on TV, this is going to be so bad. You've got to be on TV. You've got to go to those local TV stations. Like I think where in Toronto is Rogers, Cable 10. Get yourself on TV. Do it for free. Do whatever it takes to be on TV. Offer yourself up as a host. I mean, as a guest Mm -hmm. on any show that will have you. Like I now do City Line a couple times a month and it's great. I love it. Uh, People who have big social media followings or have great TV presence have an opportunity to get on shows like that uh, to be, you know, to try it out. Mm -hmm. So go to parties where television producers are, have your three second, your three minute sizzle reel, or I would even say one minute sizzle reel. Um, Do a YouTube video TV show, like get yourself on video so people can see you speak at home shows, um, take acting classes, 
you know, in front of camera acting classes, because when you finally get the call, Hey, Michelle, we want to audition you for this HGTV show. You better know what the hell you're doing because you're going to have about two seconds. Yeah. Like you're going to walk in and they're going to decide probably before you open your mouth, whether or not they're going to think about you. So, um, really any advice? I like that. I hadn't considered that. Did you do that then? Like, how did you learn how to host a TV show? <laughs> you know what? I'm stupid lucky. I don't know. Um, so first of all, I, right. It, come, it came from Los Angeles and I worked on a TV show called Ripley's Believe It or Not. And, um, I was a producer and the host of the show is a guy named Jack Palance. Who's an old time actor. He was yeah. in city slickers. If you saw city yeah, slickers, the I old cow hand. So Jack was my boss. Jack's daughter was the co-host of the show and she quit. And the producer of the show pointed at me and said, you're on, you're going on as the host, the co-host of the show. So you can imagine how excited I was. I was freaking out. I had no idea what I was doing. Anyway, I was the co-host of the show for about an hour because Marie Osmond's people heard about the opening and Marie stole my job. So please boycott Marie Osmond. Don't buy her records. (laughs) She was really, really nice. It was really, really nice. So anyway, I moved to, I moved to Toronto with my husband and I went to study design and I stayed home for the first five years, but I had design clients on the side. And then I dropped my kiddo, my, my youngest, I dropped her off at full day kindergarten. So my son was in full day grade two and she was in full day kindergarten. And I walked around the corner to this coffee shop and I sat down and I burst into tears. And weirdly, this woman came up to me and said, are you okay? And I said, I just dropped my kids off at school. I have no life. I have no children and I have a shitty career. I'm a designer and I'm like crying, right? And she's like, I know you because she worked on a TV show that I worked on. And she goes, we're starting this new network called, uh, it was called Lifetime before it was HGTV. It was called Lifetime. And she said, we're looking for decorators to be on TV. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So that is how I got on TV by being a big loser. I swear to God. Yeah. So that's That's no good advice. I'm no good at advice, but if I, if I desperately wanted to do it, I would say, get yourself on TV all the time. And you might even take, I don't even know if this is a thing, but if there were, if there was an acting class devoted to being on camera, like reality show on camera, that might be a really good thing to do because they might get producers in to watch my, in, the, in my experience, the acting classes that I've done, they always get people into to professionals into critique you. Oh, um, yeah. So that's, a, you know what I mean? So if there's yeah. a, if there's an acting class on how to be on reality shows, but then even stuff like, you know, I know you want to be on for design, but even like, this is so silly, but like big brother, like stuff like that, just get, get yourself a big following. Yeah. So you know how to get on big brother, right? You have to be, you have to be wacky. You have to be total wacky. You know what? I have considered it, but I also feel like, um, well, first of all, I know my personality enough. Like I couldn't, uh, I, I don't know if I could handle Big Brother uh, in the lying because yeah. I can't lie. Like, but I totally get what you're saying because I have like, I'm definitely like, um, between you and I and apparently the listeners, I have had calls with regards to TV and, and, and stuff. So, um, and I've done like an audition, but you know, whatever, um, 
crickets after that, but we'll see. And, but I want to be more active and, and making sure I do video and do whatever it takes. But what would you, what would you consider? Like, if you can remember back to like, what were the, I'm sure there were pros and cons to having like hosting a TV show while trying to manage a business or did you just not even, was it just you hosted a show and that's all you did during that time? Oh no. If the pros of hosting a, a show um, were that my phone rang all the time. I had constant stream of customers. The cons are they're not necessarily the customers you want. So we were answering like so many phone calls a week and some of them weren't ideal customers. So, because remember when I started down that path, I didn't have a process. I didn't have a, a, the 15 steps, which now everybody takes for granted, but they didn't exist. Yeah. So uh, it was chaos. My office was complete and total chaos. And there was a really big moment in my life where I thought, I'm just going to do TV because it's so much easier than clients. The client thing is too hard. I'll just do TV. Um, and then as a last ditch effort to save my interior design business, I hired a business coach and Ooh. thought, okay, I'm going to make this work. Um, the, the other, the other thing is it's kind of like getting yourself published in a magazine, you know, like you're, you get published in a magazine. You think, oh my God, this is it. The phone is going to ring off the hook. It doesn't, it doesn't. Because people need to see you five, six, seven times. It's not about the one thing. It's about all the things. Yeah. And you're in such a good position to be like on YouTube, on podcast, showing up and speaking at home shows. And you just, you have to be a little bit outrageous in some way. You have to be, you know, I'm, I'm outrageous in my, um, I'm sauce, I'm sassy. I'm saucy and sassy. I say outrageous things on TV. So that makes people laugh. And then yeah. therefore I get asked back, right? Yeah. You have to have something. Yes. Um, and it's sad to say, but you also need to be super cute and you are super cute. And please, nobody hate me for saying that. But reality is when you look at all the TV shows, is there one person who's remotely unattractive yeah. on these shows? Like it's ridiculous, right? It's, it yeah. shouldn't be that way. It's that way. So you got to be... And you've got everything you need, Michelle. You've got everything you need to be that person. If I was doing a show, I would hire you for sure. You oh, and the other thing is network, network with producers. Network with producers. Network I like what you're producers. saying. Now, how does one do that? Like, do we try to find, uh, how does, uh, just Google who are producers to certain shows and, and, like, and then Instagram oh, yeah. stalk them? <laughs> yeah, there's only like, what are there, like 10, maybe 10 decorating shows? Find out who the producers are. Find out where they hang out. L LinkedIn is, look at their LinkedIn profiles. Do they belong to this group or that group or this charity or that charity? Show Smart. up where the producers are. That's Call a good producers. one. Yes. Call them and say, I want to be on TV. Can I, can I have a five-minute informational interview with you? Five minutes, informational interview. And show up it. and say, I need to be on TV. You don't understand. I belong in front of the camera. So how am I going to make that happen? Yes, that's great advice. I love it. And <laughs> probably nobody else cares about that. But like uh, my podcast is also very selfish. And I wanted to hear it from somebody who's actually done it. So this is a good time to kind of wrap it up. Why don't you tell everybody, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people already know, but tell everybody about business of design. Business of Design, we launched in 2004, and it's so it's so funny for me to hear people say Trade Day because Trade Day is something that I made up, and uh, I know it's great right? that it's 
it's like a baby out in the world. I'm like, oh, my little baby's all growing up. I know. Um, it's like you branded it. And then that's amazing. You created it. And I, now it's a thing that's like common terminology in the design world. Isn't that crazy? It I know. Crazy. So business of design is really a how-to for anybody who wants to run projects. From the beginning of the project to the end of the project, it's not theoretical. It is meant to be copied exactly. And once you copy it exactly and you see how it works, then if you need to tweak it a little, then let's talk about how you're going to do that. Um, so we would love to have everybody sign up at businessofdesign.com. There's a free membership package where you get our newsletters and you can find out about cool stuff. Like we're having our 15th birthday party at high point. So if you'd like to hang out with business of design at high point, that is October 19th, Saturday, October 19th, 5 to 7 PM. It's a free event, but you have to RSVP at businessofdesign.com. And if you'd like to be a monthly member, it is ridiculously $79 a month or $790 a year. And it includes monthly coaching. So one hour a month of group coaching. And uh, it's been really gratifying for me to watch the just the maturity level of the community just explode. I mean, I went from just begging people to please start charging for consultations and to charge more than $50 an hour to now talking to people about profit margins. It's like, whoa, that's, it seemed like it happened overnight, but it's been 15 years. So there's just so much more we want to do. So much more we want to do. Like educate the consumer. We want the consumer messaging to be hire a professional interior designer or a design professional, a decorator, a stager, a stylist, you can't do these projects without them successfully. You can do them without them. You will suffer. Don't do it. Hire a professional. Absolutely. And I want to go back to um, the cost of the membership. So I'm not currently a member now, but I was a member when I first started. I don't even know how I found you, but I did. Um, it was before I was in a lot of the Facebook groups. So I don't know. I probably Googled something. But I, I did exactly what you said, which was, you know what, you know, you get a little afraid. People get afraid of these like, oh, $79. It is absolutely nothing. If you, all you need to do is reframe that number in your head. If I get one client, you can easily pay off $79 a month with one client. It's the same thing with like the software that improves, improves your business. It's like, I understand it adds up, but all you have to do is reframe in your head what you're getting and how easy it is with just one client to pay that. It's not, it's, it's a no brainer really. And right. like you and said, if you're, you can power through all of them if you want. And you know, once you've kind of gotten the information, you don't have to continue if you don't want to, but obviously there's benefit to continuing. Absolutely. But if it's not, you know, financially in the cards for you right now, get what you need, um, do what you got to do. But it, it was hugely valuable for my business for sure. And we would go so far as to say, we guarantee that you'll make more, more than enough money back for that investment. Um, and if you go up to businessofdesign.com, there's, a, there's over 100 testimonials. Many of them say things like, I doubled or tripled my income. And they have a picture and a name and a city. So you know they're real people. We didn't make them up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Please don't say stuck. And please don't 
try to do this alone. You're going to, you know, you are going to get your butt kicked Mm. and Facebook groups are great, but you need that foundation for sure. And Michelle, we have so many people who come back for membership because they're like, I thought I knew everything. And then I wandered off the path and now I need to come back. So that's why I keep referring back to the AA philosophy. You got to keep going to meetings or you're going to get off the beam. Absolutely. And another thing I think the benefit of having this type of community is just hearing from other people what's possible. I mean, you know, we we start these businesses with like, oh, hopefully I can make enough to pay my bills. But then you talk to other designers who are doing things that you didn't think were possible. And most of the time, it's just being able to have that be shown to you, like what can be done, the profits you can make from furniture, how it can transform your business um, is is completely revolutionary to your business because if somebody else can do it, there's absolutely no reason why we can't on our own too. Right. So Yeah, so true. I love what you're doing. I love that you have a podcast. I really want you to have your own TV show. So I'm going to keep thinking about how we can make that happen. Yes, from your oh, mouth well. to the <laughs> ears and the producers. Yes. yes. Oh, it's a dream. It would be a dream. Kimberly Selden, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you so much. Everybody's going to, everybody's like high-fiving me for getting you on my podcast. I'm high-fiving me. Thank you for taking the time. You're so cute. Oh my God. I just adore you. I can't wait to hang out with you again. And good luck with your kitchen reno. Thank you. At least the drilling has stopped. So I'm sorry that that happened. (laughs) Anyways, have an amazing long weekend. Don't work too much. Get that tequila. Get that tequila. Oh my God. Sometime tonight that is happening. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Okay. Bye, sweetie. So yeah, that was just me talking to Kimberly Selden. No freaking big deal. Um, But yeah, I I can't thank her enough. Kimberly, if you happen to listen to this, I doubt that you will. Thank you so much for just being so gracious and patient with how insanely disruptive that was. I mean, my terrible karma for that was having to edit it and it was, there was a lot of cut, slicing and dicing going on. But I think one of the biggest things that I really took away here was what she said about not setting a set of criteria for projects that you will or won't accept. Allowing yourself to take on projects that could turn into more. It's not the first time I've heard it. Veronica said it too in our last podcast, but you know, if that's going to be how Kimberly Selden conducts her business, I sure shit will too. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review. I don't need to say it again. Not now. I'll say it on the next one, but it helps people find me. Oh, I said it anyway. Uh, Leave a review. Leave a comment on the review if you can. If you want to follow along on Instagram, go to realtalkdesign.podcast. If you want to follow along my journey where I do a little more candid chatting, you can go to Michelle Bennett or sorry, go to Real Talk Design with Michelle Bennett on Facebook. It's a group. Please answer the questions. I will not accept people unless they answer the questions. And if you want some inspiration in your inbox, some quick nugs, quick nugs, real talk, real short, go to michellebennett.com slash real talk. Anyways, guys, that's all I got for you this week. I will talk to you later. Bye. Here's something that I'm curious about your, what you, (laughs) oh, 
I'm like, why of all the people does this have to happen? Well, Kimberly Selden's the one on my podcast. Um, <laughs> okay, so for a whole home, here's what I've realized in my... <laughs> okay, so Kimberly and I were recording and it froze and she was sweet enough. I didn't do this to her, but she was sweet enough to talk to her what my face looks like. This is going to go in the blooper reel. What my face looks like, and I will share this in my Facebook group, while I was frozen. And it was, let me tell you, I'm a monster. It's awesome. No, it's a great, such a good photo. It is. It's my best work. Um, okay. So let's try this again. We'll see how this goes. But 